are here for episode 56 of Badass Records Podcast. John Brick, how's it going? Good. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Um, it's nice so, and warm. It's yeah. nice and warm to be down here. It, it, in, the, it, when you, it, in your podcast, <laughs> your podcast uh, room. I, uh, I didn't quite realize how many hours I'd be spending in this room, and it makes the rest of the house much less appealing when it's cold like this, because yeah. it's just... Anyway... Um, well, it's but, comfy down here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, made the tables this way so that I could pull them out and still use the room as a hang, but that's turns out to be a little more work than I bargained for. So right now it's not really the best TV viewing room if you want to flop on the couch. I'll just flop on the couch right now. <laughs> Isn't there like K-State KU on or something? Right, right. I think so. I think, I think so. Is. Not that I care about either team, but it'd be a fun game. Well, I, I mean, it's it's really if if you're a Chiefs person, it's a really weird time of year where like this past week felt like two weeks waiting, yeah. and then it was like, am I am I running late for my watch part? Like on Sunday after all this time waiting, yeah, and then so, now we got two weeks, which will probably feel like three, and I'm eager for the game to get here, but I'm also like, I need to just. Take, take, not, not be on this ride, you know, yeah. full time. Um, well, I don't know about you, but I am still exhausted from watching that game. Absolutely, absolutely. Like that was emotionally draining on so many levels. It was, and <laughs> it was, I it was great, but it was like I didn't uh, have any confidence no. at, at all, and so I, I'm still kind of reeling a little bit. I mean. <sighs> But it was the grit. That's what I loved about it. And I don't know if we're supposed to be talking about the Chiefs right now. <laughs> Absolutely. We talk about the, the the real thing that this show turns about is who does a better job of getting us back on track okay, from all okay. of our... I felt the grit and kind of like next man up cliche. I mean... Because it's always been Mahomes taking over and winning, but like Sky Moore and the running and, and uh, Jones getting sacks and those... Those D backs, the young guys tipping the ball. I mean, it was yep. his team, and I like that. Yeah, that's a lot more fun, I think, than the the glitz and glam of the old Tyreek Hill stuff. <laughs> but to each their own. Fun while we had it, though. <clears throat> it, I it mean, was fun, right? Uh, got us a Lombardi. So true. I think we we got a chance. We got a chance on this one. I Home think Bill so too. Pretty good though. They are um, physical. I was. Uh, I didn't. I kind of <laughs> napped during the Niners Eagles game. Um, it was a good game to nap through. Well, but I, I thought that you know Niners might steamroll them, and I mean I knew Philly was great. They've yeah. been great since week one. But at the same time, I was like, oh, okay, maybe we need to resharpen our pencils. Well, they didn't have a quarterback. They had right you know, there, and they're like. So Jimmy, what was the story with Jimmy G? Is he's he not available? Purdy's been playing, and he's yeah. a rookie. No, no, I know. And he's he been fantastic, good, but, but Jimmy G hasn't hurt. been available. No, oh. he got hurt, and they were on their fourth string. Then the fourth string got hurt. They were going to put in Christian McCaffrey, the running back, but then Purdy came back with his hurt arm. I didn't want, I saw the highlights. Right, watch. right. The game was pretty boring. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you're, are you, I know you grew up here, but are you uh-huh. born and raised through and through, KC? Born in Kansas City, Missouri. Grew up in uh, on the Kansas side. Right. Went to high school with you. Right. Well, we go back to junior high. Prairie. Did you go to? You went to Prairie too. One year. Yeah. You I, went to Indian Hills. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, mom, dad, brother Matt, it's four Matt's, of you, right? Matt is older, younger Dave. Yeah. Oh, you have two brothers. Uh-huh. Okay. 
That's that sounds all, familiar. Uh, all the same path from all Mission Road, Prairie Indian Hills, right back to and all the whole lot of you is just yeah, my si- dad, single syllable. Yeah, my dad, first and last name, right? Well, or technically they... Jonathan Matthew. David, oh, okay, and Jeffrey, okay. but you know John Brick. Yeah, yeah. People like to say John Brick more than Jonathan. <laughs> I, I, yeah, absolutely. Um, and how did mom and dad meet? Um, they met on a blind date in Denver. Really? Mm-hmm. Are they, do they have ties? My mom's from Denver. My dad was doing his medical residency there. Okay. And they met on a blind date and, uh, the rest I could is... say more, but that's that. Right. And my dad's from half St. Louis, half Kansas City. Okay. So he moved here. Okay. Went to East and graduated. And, uh, yeah, that's how they, that's how they met. Um, and do you have any memories of them putting on music in the home when you were oh, a kid? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. What were they into? Oh, uh, they had really good music taste. I mean, everything really. Okay. I think memories of, uh, my dad was always kind of like hip on whatever was new and good. He okay. Was a dire Straits fan. Ah. Uh, I remember like some. Billy Joel, I remember like, uh, God, I don't know. There were so many. There were so many. Sure. Things. I remember Neil Diamond coming to America and having my little baby brother when he was two, dancing in front of the speakers. But I mean, if you just look through the CDs, there was always something. I know he liked some like the yellow, the yellow jackets and Pat Metheny. Okay. And, um, a lot of jazz stuff. Uh, my mom was like a Beatles and ABBA and okay. Uh, you know. That kind of stuff, but they, yeah, I, th- those are just stick out in my sure. head. Just remembering, like, and then so you're did, you're the middle of three boys, uh-huh. and then so uh, were you? Did you guys all eventually begin your own collections, or yeah, in the same room on my dad's stereo? Okay, okay. Uh-huh. So, so we kind of just started adding our CDs there. Nice. When and the do CD you first came out because it was like awesome yeah playing yeah. it on dad's fancy stereo with... <laughs> right did he have one of those like glass door with a clicky magnet shedding device no, no it was in like a wooded cabinet okay it was pretty sweet you know nice better than my little uh ghetto blaster with cassette tapes with the two speakers but better than nothing grade. that little guy yeah no that, that's where i first listened to music so uh, anything stick out first love wise for you album wise or first acquisition I mean, <clears throat> I I liked so much stuff coming out. I know that <laughs> we were thinking about that cassette thing we're talking about, those little mini ghetto blasters. I remember putting on Def Leppard. Do you remember Def Leppard's first album? Well, there's High and Dry and then On Through the Night before Pyromania. Yeah. And then Hysteria. Uh, no, the first two. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I remember putting that on... Like, this is super early. I'm talking fourth grade, so this is, like, third and fourth grade. I remember the band Loverboy, mm-hmm. things like Toto. Sure. Um, but I think that summer, so I started getting into Led Zeppelin in fourth grade, too, and I went to summer camp, and I listened to, uh, there was two albums I listened to at four-week summer, overnight summer camp every night on my Walkman, and one was Physical Graffiti, which I'd never heard anything like that. Right. And the other was tipped off from a guy in my cabin named Mitch Harris. Cool guy from Indianapolis. But he tipped me off to Prince Purple Rain. Okay. Fourth grade. Yeah. I'd never heard of anything like that before. And 
you know, especially that song, what, Nikki, you know, that, uh, uh, in the, Darling <laughs> Nikki, yeah. like that in fourth grade. Yeah. I mean, you know, you get that. Are we, is it all right for us to be listening? Kinda. Yeah. Or what is this? You know, it yeah, sounds, it was more like what is this? Yeah. And like, there's a bunch of I'm sleeping in a cabin with a bunch of four other dudes in the middle of Wisconsin. What was, what so, camp was it? It was called Camp Nabagaman. Okay. Wow. Did all three of you go to that? Mm-hmm. Nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what grade? Fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh. So I went for five years. Okay. And my brothers went for the whole period. So you start in fourth grade and you go all the way through high high school, I think. Okay. Or you can become counselor in high school. And f- four weeks overnight. You can do four eight weeks. Okay. I, four. I'm. Yeah. I just it wasn't. I uh, personally just I was involved with a lot of sports and stuff here, and sure. I like my friends here. Um. And now I would appreciate it a lot more because of the activities, the lake activities, the camping, the right. sailing, the hiking, the archery, rowboating, canoeing. That was all fun. But like, I just wanted to like play football and, right. and chase around girls. I know. And all boys but, camp. <laughs> but point being, four weeks overnight camp as a fourth grader is it was no a little, small yeah. ass. No, it was, yeah, you get homesick. For sure. sure. So that was why the, I guess hearing... The songs, what I was going to say, when you put on music every night to help you go to bed, not being in your home, was right. Physical Graffiti and uh, and uh, Purple Rain. Um, how about first concert? Oh, uh, I went to the Kinks. So no, no, no. First concert was Duran Duran. Okay. So going back to that Ghetto Blaster 2, Duran Duran was like, you know, everybody was listening to Duran Duran. Of course. So in fourth grade, I went to the Reflex Tour at... Municipal Auditorium. Okay. With uh, my brothers. Well, I guess my older brother, my younger brother, might not have been alive. And our friends, the Lockwoods. And that was the first time I'd ever smelt marijuana. Oh. Did you know what it was? I had an idea. Okay. Interesting. It was a a weird smell and something. And I knew that people smoke pot. Right. But Duran Duran was the reflex. That was my first concert. And then I went to... I know I went to the Kinks... After that, and I also went to Michael Jackson Thriller Tour Nuh-uh. at Arrowhead. Really? So those were like the real early ones. Holy cow. And then from there, I mean, hundreds of concerts. Sure. You know, it's all, I've, I couldn't even say. Are there still, uh, you know, uh, significant memories from that Thriller show? Was it epic or was it quasi-forgettable or... I mean, at that age, seeing Michael Jackson in front of that many people, it's pretty epic. Yeah. If I you ask think. me, if you ask me, do I remember any part of it or any songs? Probably not. Just kind of a, a lot of dancing and sure, yeah. Wow. Um, but yeah, that was pretty cool. Nice. Well, I want to dive deeper into music, but before we do that, uh, if we could talk a little bit about your professional stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we get to that, so we, Prairie Indian Hills East, and then University, University of, of yeah, yeah Madison, mm-hmm. which uh, I don't know why, but has always sort of had a mysterious appealing element to it. Even before I was really old enough to understand what like authentic, traditional college, you know, real college town is. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's, that one's up there. On yeah. The, you know, I mean, in my opinion there, you don't. <clears throat> so my freshman year, there was an article in Playboy magazine and it had, uh, the top ranked college towns in America. Okay. Um, Top-ranked party college towns sure. in America. And it's like the top 25. And, and Wisconsin wasn't in the top 25. 
but they had a little disclaimer saying you can't rank professionals with amateurs because it was just on a whole different oh, level. Oh, freshman year of college you're reading this? It, that was in the Playboy magazine my freshman year, going into freshman year of college. Okay. So the point is, is like as far as college towns go, it's unbelievable. And you still... like I've, I still go up there. And yeah. it's still a blast, right? Well, it's just a beautiful... In, in the summer, I mean, it's always beautiful, but the right. weather in the summer, it's on two lakes. It's a... Uh, it had when I was a freshman, and it probably still does. Had sixty three bars within walking distance per capita within like wow. a three square mile area. Well, I mean, it's cold in the winter. Yeah, in, in, in a three square mile area, it's just got really good ethnic food. It's you know, it's a capital. It's kind of like a very academic, open minded place. There's good music, good people, and um, as far as college towns go, I, I just it's not. It's really centered around that State Street kind of like. I haven't been to Austin, but I guess it's Fifth Street in Austin. Oh, yeah, yeah. One long strip. And it's like kind of like, you know, record stores and 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 cool restaurants and head shops sure. and, and yeah, bars. It, and it's just got that vibe. It's but, always kind of had that liberal moniker yeah, attached it, to it, yeah, too, right? Yeah, it's definitely a liberal, for sure. Definitely. I mean, I guess people would consider it the Berkeley of the Midwest. Right, but, right. Um, now, do you are you uh, invested in any of their sports programs today? For sure. Okay, so yeah. what are your what are your what's your not super happy? Well, I'm I'm happy that we got rid of our football coach because it was much needed. We fired our football coach and got a new guy from Cincinnati. Okay, we're excited about right now. Our basketball program's not doing so great. Okay, so I'm hoping maybe they revamp. They've Jeez. been good, but they're like four and six now in the Big Ten. They've lost like. Six out of the last seven games. But they have a decent uh, hockey program too. They have do a they great not? Hockey program. Okay. Yeah. You, do you... I didn't. I you know I didn't really follow it. A lot of my friends are from that area, and they did. But, sure. Um, I definitely hung out with a lot of hockey players. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're crazy. Yeah. They they have no <laughs> idea how to party. Hockey players. No. Um, no. <laughs> so when you're at whatever you know, junior year or senior year of high school, how? Well, who else was? On, what other schools were on your list, and how'd you land on? Um. Well, I, I was I, I wanted to go to a big state school, so my list was Colorado, Indiana, Oregon, Wisconsin, Penn State, Florida, and <clears throat> there's one other one I can't think of. But I got into all of them for some reason except Florida, which is okay. But I heard Gainesville was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got waitlisted for Madison, so... Uh, I was about ready to go to Indiana or Colorado, but after I visited Indiana, I got home and got into Wisconsin. Okay. And then I went and visited Wisconsin the following weekend, and it was just, it was a no-brainer. I mean, it had... After a visit, you say? After a visit. Okay. I mean, those first three nights there, I had never <coughs> done or seen things like that right. in my entire life. And uh, Right back to that Prince what, record. I don't know what rated podcast it is. It's <laughs> the, whatever's fine. Whatever's yes, fine. But went to like an animation festival one night. And my first night there, and then went to some dive bars, and of course, someone took me to frat party, and saw some live music, and I'm like, this is like a right. lifetime. The first so weekend. those are that list doesn't have any slouches on it academically. Were you good grades and good test scores, or I was good grade, bad test scores, good grades, lots of activities. Okay, activities ended up. You don't up remember me being the class president in high school? <laughs> I killed a lot of brain cells since then. I'm sorry, nothing personal. A um, lot of activities, sports, you know, varsity sports, student council. I did like a program with underprivileged kids. Okay. Um, so they really National do. Honor Society, I did make. Uh, but I, I did a special thing with them where <clears throat> since my test scores weren't good, I had my guidance counselor 
do an open application, meaning calling them and re- recommending me. And that might have helped because from they, East. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they had like a, um, wow. My God. They looked at me as more of a whole rather than just scores. Right. I think a lot of my guidance counselor t- said to my mom, is Blair a pot smoker? I think Blair's a pot smoker. <laughs> who was it? <laughs> Town, Towner, Town. He was, no, I don't know who she is. Yeah. I can't remember. Like drab old, you know, not, mm-hmm. not well-rounded. Like, yeah, but no, the but point being, yeah. That's what they they say that they not they're not necessarily looking at transcripts and test scores. They're looking for well-rounded so, folks. So can I tell a fun story? Yeah, please do. <laughs> please. Uh, I'm still very close with my college friends. Uh, in fact, we're on a constant thread almost every day texting, and we were talking about some guy, and I can't remember who he is or. But the the whole point of the conversation was is he was he got. Uh, out of high school, he got recruited to full scholarships to all these Ivy League places. He was like a big deal or whatever, but somehow he got uh, caught dealing drugs. Oh. No, dealing pot. Okay. Just weed. Yeah. Smoking and dealing weed. So they took away all the scholarships. And then, but he, Madison actually, the University of Wisconsin was actually like, well, he's kind of an entrepreneur. He's smart. It was just weed. <laughs> so they ended up giving him a scholarship. Wow. That's awesome. <laughs> so that kind of says you something yeah. about like the type of, and the cool thing about what I really, really like about that is the nature is the campus, not only is it kind of like an urban thing, but it, it's on two lakes, but it's also on nature preserves. So when you're walking down campus and you walk off campus, it's there's like an arboretum and there's just this untouched land. And so you they kind of, that's the whole philosophy around the university is they want you to experience and be outside as well as work and cool. do things, which is something I still have to do. Um, so you kind of like, it's just, I just like that way of thinking. Like it's sure. hard for me to just sit in an urban area. Oh, yeah. And I think that it opens your mind a little bit, and um, and so I like going up there every summer, just mainly for the nature stuff. And, cool. Yeah. Well, you um, were ambitious and organized, it seems, with the, in in terms of uh, your your broad view as far as where you would wind up uh, college wise. Um, did um, I lost my train of thought? Uh, oh, um, did you? know what you wanted to study was was that i went in there pre-med <clears throat> for that lasted about two weeks okay what was the <laughs> roadblock at two weeks that made you oh coming out of high school i thought that i might want to do what my dad did okay and maybe like take over his practice or whatever but at the same time i wanted to be in a rock and roll band and uh my freshman year i started that doing that but uh i chemistry i got into my first chemistry course and um, that lasted about two weeks. Yeah. So then I, one of the cool things about where we went to high school though, is I had that college now thing. So I mm-hmm. got all those college credits. So I was actually a sophomore as a freshman. Nice. So I had time to, I didn't have to take any of the intro classes. So I had time to kind of see what I wanted to do. Uh, at one point English major, one point com arts, but history was for me. Um, and, uh, then I did film. I kind of, they didn't have a minor, but technically it was a minor sure. film. Um, so Looking at your stuff uh, on your site, johnbrick.com, um, Outside Lines uh, mm-hmm. is uh, a, a piece of verbiage attached to a handful of projects, but not all of them. Is that a thing that is uh, something that you did in the past and now it's a different stuff? So Outside Lines, is, uh, <clears throat> Outside Lines was a travel show that I started right when I moved back from California to Kansas City. So... 
you, you, uh, after school, were you, so so were you only there school, three moved, years? No, I went to I went to Madison for four years. Four, okay. And then I moved. To, I came back to Kansas City for a year, and then moved to California and worked in a bunch of different jobs. Okay. And one of those jobs was at uh, my last job out there was with Yahoo News and created a bunch of online kind of web series and whatnot. And one of the really cool ones was a travel show going around the world called Richard Bang's Adventures. Okay. And uh, that kind of, and I was a I shot, uh, edited, and kind of like field produced those things. So like, and I got a, and he's a he's a pretty renowned travel guy, like mainly from the '60s, '70s, and '80s, a little older. But I learned how to. I wanted to do something on my own when I left Yahoo, and so rather than doing like adventure travel, I did outside lines and raised a little bit of money. And with my friends, but ours was on like um, kind of the the what's cool. <laughs> this is way before like all these travel shows and whatnot. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is like in when Bourdain was just starting to yeah. And so ours was kind of like the inside scoop to cities, like the underbelly, sure. like what's cool in music and food and fashion. And so we actually did our pilot in Buenos Aires, um, which was really cool. And uh, after that, we were pitching around to TV networks and we actually got into MTV. Um, and they were really close to the, we were really close to doing a deal with MTV for that show because they liked our host. They liked our city's concept because we wanted to go to. Um, international cities, you know, like that were having good stuff, you know, Paris, London, right, Buenos Aires, you know, Johannesburg, whatever, all these places. And uh, MTV kind of did what they do with young independent people and took advantage of the situation and Bummer. pushed us to the side, but definitely took some of our ideas. Oh, um, great. And so, you, you know, there's nothing you can really do. I mean, they didn't take our show, but we know the show that they made definitely they you know we had submitted a lot of stuff to them and we know that that probably was in it but there's nothing you can do I mean, no how do you find out the proper avenue to I mean, submitting I something to, a lawyer. to mtv oh to the t- i don't know how we got into MT- i can't remember i think our host knew someone that knew okay. someone okay okay so and i was i had been living in los angeles so i had a lot of contacts too but i mean yeah we went to the head of mtv world and sat in a room and killed it with them and they offered us a deal and like after the meeting wow and so you're on top of the world and yeah then you get and then you go on for like several months and you have all these conversations and you need to have an nda i don't think we had an nda and because you know you don't want to like you're just so new to it yeah so at the end of the day we got screwed well you mentioned richard banks uh there's a clip with daryl hannah uh-huh. like is, are so are you there like i as... was not in rwanda for that okay so that was a really cool so Rich, richard bangs is like a He's like the most famous river rafting guy in the world. He's okay. He's descent of every major river uh, in every continent, probably except for Antarctica. Wow. So he's, and then he funded uh, Mountain Travel Sobek and Mungo Travel. And then he had a show at MSN, which might have been the same name. And then they brought that show from MSM to Yahoo News. <clears throat> I just kind of fell into it. Um, I got to travel to a lot of places, but the Rwanda one was with Daryl Hannah. She was our host, and it was about uh, um, uh, mountain gorillas and deforestation, mm-hmm. and saving the rainforest. And it was they also we built the Yahoo sponsored to build a water cistern um, for these this village where these these students needed water because they had to trek two to three miles almost every morning to get water from the river to take back to the school, just to, so they had drinking water wow. in the school. So we the whole thing was is to kind of like 
build a story around the the cistern, the gorillas, that everything was happening environmentally there, and Daryl Hannah being there with the president of Rwanda, you know, like clipping the thing with the cistern. Of, sure. It was just, a, it was like, you know, it's like a full week series, like five episode series. So but, you're uh, like post. I was I was I edited for that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I was back in the in the Yahoo office taking the footage and okay. helping getting it live and editing. It had it. to be fun to work on. It's a dream, right? Are you kidding? I got to hang out with Daryl. I got to work with her, and then I got to have dinner with her. She in that clip, she looks and sounds like you know she just filmed Splash two weeks ago. She, I'm like, she looks and sounds like it. so. My thirty third birthday, I think it was my thirty third. I went. I the team, we went out to dinner. And nice. I, I, you know, got to have my 33rd birthday talking to the woman from Splash. Yeah. Well, it was totally surreal. <laughs> absolutely. Um, so this whole uh, outside the lines came into my awareness because I going back some years now, I remember you posting stuff about the trip down the. Oh, the, the mighty. mighty Mo- yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, like I don't know, may, may, we've probably had at that point crossed paths once or twice mm-hmm. since I don't remember, but um, I remember immediately being like, "This is like professional and legit," and like John's got this whole like sort of lane carved out, and um, it, you know, kind of that feeling where you're like happy for somebody well, that is uh, pursuing something. Um, so how have things, what would that have been, like, oh, seven, That was, eight? so I came back here, that show was around 11, 10, 11. Okay, okay. 2010, 11. So what had happened was the MTV thing was defeating, but we ended up getting some more funding because it was good and refocusing on cities that weren't fly, or people that consider cities flyover cities, but actually right. have emerging things. And so the Midwest, Kansas City was one, many... Minneapolis was one, and actually Madison was one too. But it was really about, you know, again the farm to table food thing. Everything that's in it was like I still feel like we're a little ahead of our time because everything went that direction, right? In the next five years, yeah. And it, you know, had it it didn't work out with the arrangement I had with the partners I was in with it, unfortunately. So, um, so we it, it's pulled down. It's not live, but. I felt like we were on to something there, and then you know all those shows, all those food shows, and Man versus Food, all that stuff started right. coming out, and then yeah. Bourdain really took off right around then too. Yeah. Um, so, you know, like I said, that's where I, I first uh, had some level of awareness of what kind of line of work you were in. But I mean, uh, more recently, Uncommon Allies and Class mm-hmm. of COVID nineteen, um, which both have like half a dozen plus uh uh film festival mm-hmm. uh sh- showings uh, uh presence at um and then uh a handful of awards um like just really impressive um and so i'm assuming uh challenges uh, and rewards for for both i mean can you talk a little bit about each of them or those two yeah um so uh, Uncommon Allies is kind of an interesting story. So shortly after the travel show, I, I was doing some freelance stuff around Kansas City, and I actually got um, – uh, so I was presented through – it's kind of interesting. So my mom uh, was trying to – she found this woman named Rosalind Temple. Okay, uh, yeah. Who's in – Yeah, uh, she's kind of Allies. one of the primary, primary – figures in that she's the main character yeah, yeah. so um 
what had happened was, is my mom was trying to help this woman get nonprofit status for this organization, Mothers in Charge, because her job, she lost her son to homicide. So she goes to all the murders in Kansas City to uh, bridge the gap between the police and the community to comfort the victims' families. And she, you know, had gotten a, a couple, or she was trying to get grants and the chief of the chief of police was, was kind of sponsoring her and um, my mom was helping her and some my mom and some of her other colleagues were helping her to get a nonprofit. So the way I heard about it was is uh, my mom for her uh, significant one of her significant birthdays, the number I'm not going to say which yeah. number it was, yeah, but it was above sixty five. Sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> and she had asked uh, my brother, who was also a filmmaker, to make a pro bono video just to kind of help promote. Um, this woman Rosalind in a mission. And again, I knew nothing about uh, her or anything about it. I'm just like, you know, it's my mom's birthday. I'll definitely do it. So um, I sat down with Rosalind the, uh, to do a pre-interview, just an audio recording just to get to know her. Um, and uh, I just like her story. I mean, I don't, I think you, you were at this, mm-hmm. one of the screenings, mm-hmm. the initial screenings, it's just an amazing story. Absolutely. And I'm like holding back tears. And, and so I, I she I just, was there too, wasn't she? she yeah, yeah, she was there too. So, at that point, I knew it's like, well, this is a nice little video we're going to do for my mom. But I'm like, this is almost, this is like a documentary film. And I've always wanted to make documentary films. I just never really like had the proper like inspiration or guidance to take it to the next level. So right as this was happening, I kind of did this video and we called it, the video became known as a cupcake video because um, in one of the scenes of it, it's basically centered around her building a cupcake to take to her uh, son's apartment where he's murdered. He's murdered and his inside his own apartment. So every year she takes a cupcake and she wishes him happy birthday and blows out the candle. So, um, that, uh, so that was going on with that video. And so I got, during that period, I got hired by a a production company from Los Angeles as a producer to work on this feature documentary film in Joplin and in Arkansas for several, for a few days, I think driving around down there. And, and I was lucky enough to be introduced. The director of it had one, uh, just won an Oscar for 20 Feet from Stardom. I don't know if you ever saw that. It was a really good Mm-mm. feature documentary. Um, and uh, I, I connected with him really well. And, and uh, you know, you're driving around for hours from these locations. And uh, I was just really like, how do I get to do what, you know, he's doing at right? the level that he's at. And he, you know, he really, he mentored me and uh, really like put me in my place in the way of like, if you're going to do this, you have to do this and this is going to suck and this is going to take three years of your life. And, but if you want to do this, you got to, you know, it's like, if you want to be in this, you got to, you have to direct a feature and you're going to have to do this. And uh, it was like such a good thing because it was so humbling and so daunting and being like, oh my God, this is like, I can't do this. But, you know, I did everything he said and it worked. So, I mean, I mean, and that was the whole thing. It's like, you have these cl- encounters with people. Sure. And there's got to uh, be some amazing level of gratitude for that experience. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's but that says a lot about a person like that, too. Right. You know, because no ego, just super interested in what we're doing and super interested in helping out something that, you know, obviously he saw something in me, but knew I was passionate about what I wanted to do. And so that screening that you were at, I remember the first one at the Plex Pod, I think mm-hmm, you went mm-hmm. to, when there was like 300 people there yeah. or whatever. Yeah. So that was like our first screening, public screening. And I remember after that, because I'd gotten to the point where I finished it, and I did a screening, and I remember sending him a message being like, hey, man, I did my premiere, and 
this, this, and that. And he was like, oh, congratulations. I said, I just want to thank you again for, you know, just giving me the advice. And then he was like, oh, probably. He said, but what festivals are you in? And I'm like, oh, we're not going to get into a film festival, <laughs> you know, because I didn't, I just, I'd never done anything like this right. before. And, uh, but you turned out to be wrong, didn't you? I did. And then a few weeks after that, or a month or two after that, we got into Newport Beach Festival, okay. which is a really good festival. And he had two films there. Did he? Re- so uh, yeah. did you? So we, we hung out. Nice. Yeah. We, our cool. films competed technically. Okay. That's fine. Um, but again, it was one of those things where, you know, it was a nice relation to have, relationship to have. But when I went to the festival, um, we went out for beers and I got to that you know, point in the conversation with him. I was like, okay, so what do I need to do now? You know, I want to just like, you know, you get to a point where you've made it, but what do you do, you know, as far as distribution and the business side mm. of it? And then again, it was like, you got to do X, this, 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 this. And then I followed all that again. And uh, eventually, you know, that got distribution and it's on, um, it's on Amazon and Tubi and yeah. Roku TV and That's Apple a good Plus. thing, right? Distribution? Distribution's a good thing. Yeah. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Is there a but? No, no, okay, distribution's okay. a good thing. Okay. No, no, there's well there's different types of distribution. There's kind of entertainment distribution and um uh educational distribution. Okay. So he, I I kind of learned both aspects of that, but more again about the education distribution and the impact that that can have. So basically that whole model that I learned through the first film I just like I've done it now and I know how it works. And so like amazing. Bring me the next one. Right. So like I implemented everything I did for the first one for classic COVID. And again, we're here we are. And I'm not gonna say distribution wise which is happening, but there there's gonna be some stuff happening very soon as far as that too. So it there's still traction for it. Oh yeah, no. There's some. There's stuff that's gonna happen. Okay. It's just I can't. There's you cool. know, yeah. In, in a couple of weeks, I'll you know be able to sure, say sure. more. But yeah. um, congratulations, man. Thanks. It's yeah, exciting. It's, no, it's super exciting. Um, but you know, now it's your job too. <laughs> you well, to make it successful. So and, since you mentioned that, you uh, know, uh, this is full ignorance. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, like obviously your average run of the mill blue collar job. Uh, I, I can I can put you know A and B together and see that it makes C and same with like a, a movie star professional athlete like but like I see you you know I I know nothing about the things that you have to take on to make one of these things happen but I can glean that there's some time involved like you're not turning this around in uh, ten days no, I mean this no, is like. No whatever chunk years and so yeah, it's years out of your life in the back of my mind it, it's 98 percent to two percent uh happy for you proud all these things but and the two percent is like how do you how does one pay their bills i mean do you get do you earn anything from these or yeah i mean i got come the, later the, the last film i you know was basically it was like a salary for it. oh okay. Yeah. okay i mean not a salary so the way that the way that I work with it is to get these films started is that you get grants. Mm-hmm. And so the last film, we got a pretty good grant. So okay. it was basically like a year's worth of salary for me. So you can like build the thing, make the mm-hmm. thing happen, and also Well, and the main thing is, is for both my last films is, is uh, owning the rights to it. Because so, when... Well, like for this next one is having the rights. It, as far as owning the rights, me as a director, producer, editor, and the co-producer of this, meaning that like we can do whatever we want with it. Okay. Um, you know, if meaning so, like uh, as long as I retain the rights, I can make money off it for the rest of my life. Okay. 
if that makes any sense. It does. It does. <laughs> so a lot of producers, when you see producers, producers make big Hollywood movies because they get points for it and they get the residuals, you know? Sure. So with what we're trying to do and with arrangements that we're setting up now is you can do terms for three to five years with other distribution partners um, and let them have the rights to sell it for that certain point and then make you money, but you never hand over everything. Right. So the whole idea of these projects is more, uh, it's kind of a long-term investment too, meaning that you can get checks for the rest of your life. Right. Right. So, that part I can yes. see, like, it, but it's <laughs> so now. It's, it's kind of like a sweat equity type thing. Uh-huh. So, but like, you know, with something like classic COVID-19, where it's really a time capsule and a study of what happened during the first year of the pandemic, people are going to be studying that for hundred years from now. So when they go into libraries, they're going to want, hey, so that's on the education side. We see a lot of opportunity through education screenings and distribution. Cool. So that you know, it's not just like, hey, you know, uh, let's get enough money, let's make the movie we made it. And right. Self. There's definitely a lot of strategy involved in how you do things. And and while I work on these projects, I do freelance and I do other. Okay. Too. Okay. It's not like I want it to be a full time job. Sure. But um, I think again, getting it to the point with the last project where we can have someone really good handling both sides of the education and the entertainment side means that you essentially get paid several times a year based upon the performance of how they Okay, sell. okay. Yeah. So that's kind of the business side. Now, so with all of these things uh, on your plate, are you a person that is like more Monday to Friday, nine to five? Or do you just like when I, are you working in insane or is it kind of like when I feel or is it structured in your own it unique way? It depends what I'm doing. Sure. I mean, this business side, which is the side that I don't really like as much as the creative side that's usually <laughs> a little more nine to five you need but... <laughs> to get somebody on the payroll to handle that stuff for you yeah i i mean well again we we <laughs> the payroll's got to increase well i'm it's being still... <laughs> facetious but um no the creative side's the most fun but that's the side that you can you know um take the time and late nights to to uh figure things out sure. or go on a road trip to wisconsin or colorado right. and spend eight hours thinking about i that's what i that's what keeps me going i just i love that i love the feeding just, the creative just the editing the ed, just okay. trying to trying to construct a story is like the most important and in, in, in thing of documentaries and and uh i just like i just love the process of just just doing that and it's like sure. how do I, and so i just feel like i'm all i've always been a storyteller even since I was a kid and probably told a lot of stupid stories, but I just think that like telling a good story and especially like, again, with my two films are social, they're kind of social issues and social impact films. So they're telling stories that matter and it's not just, a, you know, something that's, you know, Hey, we're just making a documentary about this. There are actually really important issues about gun violence and homicide. And then the new films like with mental health and uh, racism and, inequities of school resources so to know that i'm telling a story that has an impact positively and i'm not into make a million bucks i'm in you know right. to make a living doing this but to that uh, that's just you know it keeps you going you know it, it absolutely keep your soul a little bit yeah <laughs> um so sort of steering back to music um i'm a little bit embarrassed to admit this but i've talked about it a bunch and even written about it before um but seventh grade indian hills 
Do you, do you remember that? Do you know where I'm going? When, when the Communi- talent show? Communications class, I think, with Miss Caldwell. No, I, I remember the talent show. I don't know the class. We played in the talent show. Or that was eighth grade. What was the talent show story? The talent show was Ian and Billy Chambers and I. Okay. And we played like Guns N' Roses and... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah no. Oh, what happened in this, the communications We had to do class? a skit. Oh, no. And I'm pretty sure it was you and Billy Chambers. Uh-huh. And you guys came in and like... Yeah, karaoke, whatever, performed a version. It was either Black Dog or Rock and Roll. And you had like a vest with no shirt on underneath and a broom. I did not. Somebody was Jimmy and somebody was uh, no. Robert. You don't remember this at no. all? <laughs> and like a, a fake cigarette. I mean, you don't remember. Yeah, it was, a, it was a skit. It was an assignment. We I had, mean, come on. There's a lot of brain cells that have been killed. Fair enough. Fair that. enough. But uh, it, I mean, it was. Um, like impressive just you know in, in a like a performance sense but also uh i was like what is this music like this is wild it was black dog i'm pretty sure it was black it was either black dog or rock and roll i can't believe i have n- i think it was rock and roll actually okay no. I, yeah it, well i mean billy was a guitarist yeah yeah of course it, but... of course but I mean, like, and I had a cigarette in my mouth. Well, like a rolled off. up piece of loose leaf notebook oh. paper, and I mean, I'm pretty sure there was a, you know, a headband and and, and uh, the vest and some bell bottom jeans. I mean, wow. it was like a. I remember doing that in like elementary school for a Beatles song with huh. a bunch of people, but I don't well, remember. Maybe you were the brainchild behind this one. Oh God! <laughs> but never. That's gra- I mean, that's cool. I wish there was like a footage. Photo. Yeah. Or footage or, yeah. Or, no, I guess I don't. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was, uh, I mean, it was not long after that that I uh, ventured out and purchased Led Zeppelin oh, for. Cool. Uh, I also, uh, kind of that like family influence, like I also, same transaction, uh, Billy Joel, Innocent Man, mm-hmm. um, which is a pretty darn good record too. But um, that was, and when you come in my front door, the cover art to Led Zeppelin Four is framed and hanging there. Oh wow! Um, and it stems from you know I was like um, almost exclusively exposed to oldies for X, and then it, you know I kind of shift into like the Fox and Q one hundred four and Q one hundred four. Yeah, the number one hit music station. <laughs> Do but, you ever Mark Wildlinger? His dad was the owner of that. No, huh? He might have just been at Prairie. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Uh-uh. No, no. But point being, like <laughs> you know, total random. <laughs> you get uh, if you if you live in the classic rock uh, niche for a while, you get exposed to mm-hmm. a decent amount of Zeppelin. But if it's you know coming off four, it's Stairway or Levy, and mm-hmm. uh, so anyway, uh, it just really um, was. My, I remember I so I, I had like a Leewood country club or a Leewood soccer club duffel bag that I would take to Boy, Boy Scout camp. And we were told, you know, this is like the platform tents with the canvas on, you know. So uh, there's there's raccoons, there's all kinds of stuff. So don't have food in your tent. And I had a bunch of cassettes and my Walkman and like some chips some snacks in there. And first night, raccoons came in the tent and it woke me but not 
you know, before one of them had made off with my bag. Oh, no. And as they're dragging this bag, uh, the... well, the the case to Led Zeppelin four banged against a rock and yeah. you know got. So anyway, but uh, that record was is still amazing. But it would be some time before uh, I would make my build my zeppelin discography up to big enough to include physical graffiti mm -hmm. and for however big you know being exposed to led zeppelin 4 was physical graffiti really really dwarfed it uh and i think still holds up to this day i mean i could listen i never get sick of it it's i was listening to it on the way over here actually, okay just okay because i we'd just mentioned this album and I mean, it's just there's there's you've never heard anything. There's never and there never will. I don't think there ever be nope. an album like that ever again. And I just love the uh, well, I love the documentary side of of the, what they do. Uh, I I I watched this. Uh, oh, cool! I watched the song remains the same. Yeah. Uh, well, when we were fuck, like probably in high school, I watched that for sure. the first couple times. Mm -hmm. um, and then I recently watched Song Remains the Same just to like. And a lot of the songs in Song Remains the Same are from Physical Graffiti. But I also like the whole, was it Headley Grange, where they record their albums? That's like the, the house or the castle. Yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. That was initially where Bonham, uh, when the levee breaks, where he did the drum beat, um, you know, that big powerful one, because he was just, yeah. Yeah, so that was in the the entryway of this big house, and they his drums were just temporarily there. And he was just playing just because he liked the echo of it. So that's where he actually built his sound. Okay. So they would like put him on a platform in the middle of this, you know, front door of this house and had a recording trailer outside and a lot of the physical graffiti stuff. I'm just kind of a nerd when it comes to these movies. So there's in, it might get loud as a movie. It talks about it. And there's other movies that okay. talk about how that bottom sound became about where it was just kind of a fluke. Right, uh, you know, where they're just like, "Oh, this echo sounds cool." Well, there was so, that's the where I, I might be slightly off on this, but that pool of thought is sort of where we get like the hanging mics from mm -hmm. undersides of staircases and yeah, so on yeah. I so think forth. that that was definitely. I think a lot of studios do things like that. I mean, every studio, well, every I should say, studio in a studio does things. You know, when they hear something and they want to whatever noise they like, but I think this unique factor that there's this old i don't want to say it's a castle it's like a mantor some huge house or yeah. whatever that became this like you know recording area it was just a rental house right it's got definitely and, got like a rural you know cottagey kind of w associated with the story yeah yeah right. yeah and uh i don't know and it's like if you hear the album and you listen to it it kind of makes sense like if you saw i don't know if you if you haven't seen any pictures of it when you do see pictures you're gonna see. You're gonna see what. Oh, I could totally see Led Zeppelin, you know, hanging out there. Right. Or, yeah. Or Jimmy Page sitting in the grass writing. Uh, what is it? Born. How do you say it? Born your hour. Yeah, I've never pronounced that right. Um, it makes sense, but. Um, well. Yeah. Um. So, uh, how were you first turned on to Zeppelin via your brother or your dad or? Mm, definitely not my dad. Um, it'd be a you know. Probably in sixth grade. Sixth grade, I started getting into the Beatles and Zeppelin. Fifth and sixth grade, and I don't know if it was from friends or my brother definitely introduced me to stuff. He was a guitarist, so, um, so you know there was like Zeppelin and stuff. Then there was the popular stuff. The REM, you know, was real popular then, and U two and 
all that kind of stuff. And like I said, the kinks, and then, you know, you get into the classic stuff like the Stones and Cream, and, sure. you know, then Clapton after that, and just everything that yeah. was out there, you know, any of the stuff that was from the 70s, you know, Aerosmith, like, I yeah. had, like, I just, whatever money I had, I bought CDs. Just nice. Like, just like any other kid. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. We'd go down to Penny Lane, get a CD, um, and so whatever was popular I probably had, um and whatever was classic that you could get your hands off i probably had too right well i safe to assume you've consumed their entire studio discography at least once led zeppelin yeah oh i don't know of course um so (laughs) i mean yeah do you ever i've i I should but i couldn't tell you the last time i revisited coda or presence Presence. everybody says that i mean and honestly enter the outdoor Like I don't. That was the last. Yeah, and that's unfortunate too. Those were definitely not great albums. Um, yeah, that's but, so funny because I knew where you're getting at when you <laughs> said that. I was about ready to say go to right exactly. Into the outdoor had a cup, but you yeah, know, I mean they they well for what they their body of work in general is still and and not only that is like I never got to see them as a live band right that that had been like well and also the body of work is uh, compacted into a pretty for small a window yeah. yeah and it would have been interesting if they'd continued mm-hmm. if the bottom had not um, died but uh, but you know I, I think within through the outdoor too is I think they had to kind of appeal to the sounds of what was happening sure yeah you know because in the and then the coda and presence were kind of like I guess that was probably what the late 70s early 80s I think yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so there's absolutely. a different trend in music, and commercially, they're probably trying to wildly you know, different. Yeah, go to compared to Led Zeppelin one. Yeah, I mean, yeah, no, yeah. I'm just saying, like, but like you know, I'm sure there's like a you know record company or producer saying we got to make an album that sounds like this. Right. And, right. Well, um, so I don't know if you ever knew Jeff Shifley. He's mm-hmm. a great ahead of us. He he did one, he picked um, a couple or three for his episode, and this was one of them. And so. Uh, kind of weird. Like I've no idea how many times I've listened to this album, yeah. but I uh, did a pretty heavy revisit in preparation for his episode, and it kind of occurred to me that there's this, at least in my mind, theme of uh, kind of dark and light, and like peaks and valleys and highs and low, like across the record. Mm-hmm. Um with maybe some possible filler i mean it de- it definitely is uh you know a touchstone for the double album mm-hmm. um but custard pie is one of the all-time greatest album openers mm-hmm. in my mind mm-hmm. uh and then the rover is kind of unremarkable to me um in my time of dying is the best that's the beginning of the journey yeah. Yeah. to me yeah. uh and so house of the holy is kind of like a reminder to smile and live and mm-hmm. trampled underfoot is like, Hey, it's still kind of a bitch out here. Uh, and cashmere is like sort of mysterious and cashmere was, what was it in fact? Is that the movie when fast times when they played cashmere? And cause that scene where he was like, you know, when you get the girl in the car and you put on Led Zeppelin. Yes. Floor, I think you're right. He actually puts on cashmere. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I think <laughs> yeah. So, I think so. so it always throws me off. I know. He's like, wait, <laughs> Didn't know was is was that an intentional faux pas or did... I, I think it was just a I think it was funny I, yeah he had no idea right. what he was doing I think. uh and then in the light uh one of the most elegant compositions ever written and mm-hmm. and maybe one of the best uh, John Paul Jones showcases um Braun your hour you you really love that song. I, it's yeah. like listen head put on headphones and listen to that and tell me you don't want to like go 
sit in a meadow under a tree by a yeah. river with a lady and a guitar. I yeah. mean, it's just... Well, and that was what was cool in um, Song Remains the Same. When I first saw that movie, it was uh, the during the scene where that song plays is when they first came to New York uh, from when they landed yeah, to Goosebumps. Madison Square Garden. Right. And all those shots of the skyscrapers and them. And I'm like, oh, God, what would have killed of just... I mean, been there to see that or just be those guys for that right? moment and just being like the we have the world in our palms yeah and we're going into new york to madison square garden to right? record a, a live concert because we're the biggest and best man in the well, world well and like were they 19 when they recorded led zeppelin one and 69 mm-hmm. in their 20s so this is yeah. like 24 25 uh-huh. for them i mean um down by the seaside just gorgeous uh russell banks the mm-hmm. author said that uh Every excuse me. Every good story is if you're a writer, uh, you should imagine a, a three-legged stool, and you've got your primary motif, and then kind of your secondary, mm-hmm. and then whatever the third piece. Like maybe it's a relationship or a personal stroke, but they all have got to be there, and it's all got. It. So, um, you know, uh, in the light, down by the seaside, and ten years gone for me are sort of the three legs that the album stands on with obviously plenty of other treats mm-hmm. um wonton song's pretty damn good yeah um and then you know uh i love boogie with stew for the saloon feel mm-hmm. jazz riff that is very smile invoking but you know night flight is sort of a celebration of the relief relief release of stress but then to close with black country woman and sick again mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I, I throw those two in with the Rover as a couple tracks that aren't <laughs> don't do a whole heck of a lot for me. But I can agree that those probably aren't the the strongest ones. But but as a whole, as a whole, I don't. You know, in, in being a drummer, uh, you know, everybody Bonham. I mean, if you're a rock drummer, it's always it all goes back to Bonham. So you know, this is just like candy for me to listen to it. And I, even to this day, you know, I still play to this day and to this day, I still play along with this album. Okay. Uh, There's some songs that I can do and some songs that I can't do, but we were the last band I was in, we were actually going to try to do, we were, we wrote our own songs, but we were also a cover band and we were actually going to try to cover this album, which would have been, or some of it. Okay. But because, um, in my time of dying was one of those things where like we tried it. I mean, that's like one of the hardest songs to play on the drums. What's it run at? Eleven. Well, it's not just eleven. It's just like the way that song goes. Sure, and sure. Different timing and uh, it was <laughs> that was like one of the goal. I can't do. I still can't do it. We can play some of it. But you can never play it like that. No. But when I back to high school or whatever, when I was playing the drums, I made a bet with someone that like I could learn in my time of dying. You know. I'm never going to learn in high school. Is there an expiration date on that belt? <laughs> that, that. Um, and I, we still fool around with it because I still play with another classmate of ours, Ian. You do? Corey. Yeah. Okay, so that. it's in my notes to ask you about Solid Gold Easy. No? <laughs> yeah. No, we're not really we're not really doing that much anymore. With Solid okay. Gold Easy. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but you've been But in, that was a good, that was a fun band. You've been in yeah. a, a handful of uh-huh. outfits yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. going back to, I guess, middle school or grade. Uh-huh. Uh, so, yeah, reverting to the music thing. So, talent show at Indian Hills Middle School, Billy Chambers, Ian Gordy. Yeah. Um, and then high school, I was in a band with Coben Rudish and Dan Goldenbaum and... Uh, 
some other people that were played horns. Okay. Matt McCready, I think, played horns nice. with us. And we were called the Happy Apple Quartet. Nice. One Battle of the Bands. Very nice. We played Pal from the Beastie Boys. We played a Natalie Merchant song. Okay. We played Lenny Kravitz, Are You Gonna Go My Way? Uh, we did some funk original songs of ours. Um, and we did another Beastie Boys song that I just remember just took it down. Like people were like stage diving in, 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 in that high school. Wow. Um, but after that, uh, so Coben, who went to, do you remember Coben? Coben was, he was a class below us. By name. Yeah. So he's amazing. And, and I, you know, as kids coming out of high school, it's like, let's be in a rock and roll band together, whatever. So when I went up to Wisconsin, that was like one of the goals uh, was to play music up there because Madison had a pretty good music scene. That's where Smart Studios is, where the Smashing Pumpkins recorded Gish, uh, a lot of incredible albums. They were kind of like, that studio was like the studio in that kind of uh, pre-Seattle kind of alternative scene back then. Okay. Or I guess it was kind of during then. So like the goal was is like, yes, go up there and you go to Butch Fig's studio and you get to record an album or whatever. So freshman year, I met some guys and I started a band I was still talking to Coben, who was still in high school. I said, hey, you should really come up here. I got this band that I'm started. And, and he was just like, yeah, I'm going to go to art school, but I don't want to go to art school. I want to be in a band with you. And I'm like, well, if you come up to Wisconsin. This is your place in long-distance landline calls? There's a long-distance landline. Okay. Freshman year of college. So basically, the, the short of that part was, is he's like, look, I, I want to go to art school, but I'm going to go to art school in Milwaukee so we can be closer and uh, wow. so Madison, so the first his first semester, my sophomore year, his freshman year, I used to we had a deal where I would drive to pick him up every Friday night or Thursday. He night took a car up to Madison. Yeah, sophomore okay. year. Okay. So I would drive and pick him up in Madison, or I mean, from Madison to Milwaukee. We'd Is that drive, that's like about a hour and fifteen minutes. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, it's not too bad. And then Sunday he would take the bus back. You know, we're just like pipe German making a band or whatever, but Fun. We, knew, we knew we were pretty good. And the band turned out to be actually a pretty pretty good band. Like we did we did well for not just a college band, but just in that area. Gigan. Uh, they were called Paddington Project. The okay. band. Okay. Um, and uh, so we played in Chicago and Milwaukee and Ann Arbor, and ultimately we did get to Smart Studios, but Vig Studio. Okay. Um, wow. Not we we recorded at a at a different studio, but we went there to mix it down. Fun. So that was. God, you're learning stuff young, man. Well, I mean, that's what I wanted to do. Sure, like, sure. Ultimately, I wanted to be in a rock and band. I wanted I wanted to be in a rock band, and I wanted to make movies. So okay. I had to try the rock band thing, and so. Um, no, we were pretty successful in that area. I mean, you know, we were, and we made money off of it. We had a band fund and we were playing a lot of shows, like selling out shows. And when we were recording and, or when we were mixing down at Smart Studios, like that was fucking rad. Excuse my language. No, because no. that was when Garbage had just taken off. Oh, okay. You remember Stupid Girl, Garbage? Yeah. yeah so that, yeah. that was, Garbage was, um, Garbage was, the whole conception of Garbage was Smart Studios. So Smart Studios is a bunch of engineers. That wanted to start a band because, but they didn't want to front the band, so they found Shirley Manson in Scotland and called her up and said, and Butch Vig had a you know a lot of notoriety because he had mixed down Nirvana, and Nevermind in that studio too, and so they hired Shirley Manson to kind of be the front, but they had already kind of written all these songs. So Garbage was like one of the biggest bands in the world. This is in ninety six, nineteen ninety six or whatever, and when we went into the studio, we like were sitting there and we went through. Like they have their photo albums and their pictures, and like there's this wall of all the albums that have been put through that studio. I mean, like Depeche Mode, and again, sort of like at a pumpkins comedy albums. club. You <laughs> go in and you see all the 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're CDs. But like, and then we got to right. open, open this closet door, and then they're all the takes from Garbage album. I don't know what that album was called, the one with Stupid Girl on or whatever. But there's literally a closet, and that was ADAT back then. So there's like just stacks and stacks and stacks of endless amount of stuff that they made an album. And that was that was so cool. Just that whole experience was. I, I couldn't Hell even. Yeah. I mean, we were, That's awesome. I wish I had a cell phone back then because I would have right? been calling and texting everybody. But I, <laughs> I do remember, you know, going to the bathroom at one point and being like, "Kurt Cobain, just in this bathroom, yeah. Yeah. In this bathroom. right?" That's hilarious. <laughs> so that was pretty cool. Um, that band, uh, we didn't. Uh, when we were coming close to graduation, we decided not to move forward with that. But okay. the three, but so Cobain, the one from that we grew up with, and Mark, who was my high school or my freshman year roommate in the band. They ended up moving to Chicago and continuing to do something, which I didn't really want to go to Chicago. I would have loved to have played with them. But the band that they made in Chicago um, was called Greenskeepers, and they actually globally became uh, pretty renowned. More oh, wow. In, and more in the uh, uh, the house scene at the time was kind of a big thing. And so they were doing a unique thing. They were playing live music with house backing. like a, So they didn't have a drummer. That's why they were. Sure. Because I was, you know. I irreplaceable. I, the, I was irreplaceable. <laughs> or I drove them so crazy that they... Yeah. <laughs> let's, we just don't... Play, let's just play along with a metronome or something. Um, but they they had some... Uh, they were touring the world. I mean, they were together for eight or ten years. And I'm sure you've, they've licensed songs to Grey's Anatomy. They licensed oh, wow. songs to... Uh, I heard them on the radio. They, uh, they had a lot of really cool stuff going on. The funniest part about the funniest song that they did, and I don't know if anybody ever got to see this video, but at the time when viral videos were just starting, like in 2000, early 2000s or whatever, sure. they had written a song called Lotion. And the song Lotion was basically about uh, Silence of the Lamb, that the psycho killer and, and Silence of the Lamb, you know, puts the lotion in the basket. Yeah. I can't remember what the character's name was. B- but, B- Buffalo, Buffalo Bill. Bill. Yeah. Yeah, so the chorus of the song, so they wrote this really kind of techno poppy fun funny song about called lotion, and their first video they had taken footage from Silence of the Lambs and cut together uh, a video with their song, and it got a million streams. This is in the early two thousands, like pre YouTube, pre YouTube. Okay, a million people found it. Wow, and they almost got sued because they didn't. You oh jeez, <laughs> but the song was still somewhat famous sure you can if you google now you can still you can find that video it is so funny and the lyrics are so funny and it's so creative so if you look at it look up greenskeeper lotion okay so so had the point of the story is if i had moved to chicago and played with those guys i might have been being able to be a part of that right but But, or to the world they were all they they were i saw them play and and uh in L.A. when I was living out there in, in front of, like, 10,000 people. Dang. It was kind of like ravey type things. Sure. But, you know. But uh, but instead you went to California? Yeah, that's when I started. Or you came back here? Well, then... I came back here on my way to California. And then did you gig out there? No. Okay. It's hard out there. Sure. I was really I was kind of career focused when I went out to California. Sure. And I, I felt like I got a pretty good taste of the music thing in college. Uh, for the fact that, you know, we had it as kind of a, like a band business. We had, you know, we recorded, we did little tours, we got to deal with club owners, we got to deal with musicians, we got all the good and the bad stuff. And I don't know. And it's hard when you do something that, you know, you got so close. I think that, I think if, if that band would have stayed together, we definitely would have been able to make something wow. in the long term because we were really tight. Right. 
but uh, nevertheless, but we weren't we weren't necessarily the most marketable radio stuff at the time. Yeah. But then the jam band thing starts coming on, and we were kind of a jam band, and you know, it's just you just never know when you're gonna. You guys would improvise when you gigged. Uh huh. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Not it. I mean, more in like a structured song with jam endings. It wasn't like sure. a fish type thing or Grateful right. Dead. But, right. Um, so th- I guess I felt like after that, I wanted to focus just on somehow getting into film. Yeah. You know, but you, you've been back for a minute and yeah. you, you're still playing now. Still playing. So yeah, I was in a, we, that's the band saw gold easy was, it's kind of an on hiatus probably indefinitely. Oh, I don't know okay. if it's going to, but when I came so back you, here, you said, so I don't need to cut anything out from a minute ago or we, I don't know. we'll talk about it, <laughs> but, but you're playing on your own uh-huh. and gigging currently no 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 gigging but, but you do yeah. you're keeping keeping the rust off and mm-hmm. like about ian okay you guys so ian, ian was our bassist from solid gold easy left and then ian joined and now ian and i still play and funny enough ian uh uh ian and i and one of the guys from my college band who lives in lawrence now we're trying to get something started okay and he uh, before COVID, we actually were starting a band with another guy from East. Okay. Clint Ricketts. I don't know. If I know the name. Yeah. 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 And then COVID happened. So sure. That, uh, but the three of us are still going to try to do something. So I'm basically pulling from the band from Madison, junior high. And I mean, when you play, when you know how to play with someone, yeah. you know, it's better that way Absolutely. rather than meeting random people. So we hear that and, you know, Holmes, Kelsey and uh-huh. other band, like you just know it's your DNA yeah, I mean, when is you, kind yeah, of. Yeah. Like literally when you've played hundred, like I won't say hundred, like close to a hundred shows with someone and you've practiced hours three times more hours. than that. Yeah. And you, we live together. And when you live in a house together with people in a band, you just know everything about, you know, for better or for worse. Right. It drives you crazy. Right. But you know what you're gonna get. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I want to move to your next album, but I think I heard some upset, so I need to run up yeah, there yeah, real yeah, quick. Sure. So, uh, I mean, are you are you picking up the sticks multiple times a week? It depends on your own. Uh, normally, I'd like to. Um, uh, yeah. It it all depends. Sure. Yeah. It depends how busy I am. It depends what kind of mood I'm in. Right. Um, all the above. But um, I mean, it's it's kind of cool because the room that I edit in the studio I'm in is the same room my drums are. Okay. So if I'm working on a it's frustrating right project and like frustrating client, go hit the drums. Nice. Nice release. Very nice. Like yeah. Um. So, uh, quite. I mean, interesting to you know, I've had uh, some folks p- pick one album. Some people pick five. I've had a couple people give me like sixteen or twenty, mm-hmm. which you know. Anyway. But two is a very rare number. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I got a lot more. I well, just, I just wanted to. We, I mean, save them for another episode down yeah. the road if you feel like yeah. it. But uh, in, a fascinating leap in that we go uh, from 75 to 1997 mm-hmm. with OK Computer Radiohead. Um, third of nine for them mm-hmm. and 12 minutes, 54, 12 songs, 54 minutes. Uh, how, how into Radiohead are you? Huge. Really? Yeah. So the whole discography? Yeah, everything. You, you got it yeah. dialed, hardwired? Well, I mean, I have a lot of stories about Radiohead, but I kind of, I chose Physical Graffiti is kind of, the reason why I chose these two albums, and I could have chosen a lot more, but off the top of my head is Physical Graffiti, um, again, it was one of those memorable albums when I was a kid that I still don't get sick of. I still want to play the drums along with it. It stands the test of time. 
Now, Radiohead was uh, a band when OK Computer first came out was like a super memorable time for me too in a different way where I was I'd finished college and I was back in Kansas City and I was actually working at a company a media company downtown. Oh yeah. And I remember the first time I heard a song off OK Computer on the radio it was right when OK Computer came out. Um and I think it was Subterranean Homesick Alien. Well, Dylan Nod. Yeah. What was it? No, was it Paranoid Android? I can't believe any of those tracks were on the radio. Well, that was it was like the alternative station. Sure, sure. Um Anyhow, I just heard that sound and I'm like, "What is this?" But like, you you knew Creep by then. Yeah, but I didn't know. You didn't know Radiohead. You see, like I felt like Radiohead was pigeonholed in 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 the and uh, the bands in Creep into that. Let's put it into that Seattle sound, right? Alternative thing, and that's not what they were, Mm-mm. not how they evolved. Mm-mm. And so when I saw Creep, I'm like, "Who's this wannabe alternative band from the UK?" And I liked Creep a lot that song, but I also thought it was kind of like they were kind of making it almost like gimmicky or whatever, like on an MTV video type thing. I don't know about gimmicky, I would, but they were I trying to commer- commercializing I could, it. I could into see that, something that, yeah. Never have we heard that, you know, well, or, that, that, or that his, was, yeah. his range. Yeah, well, so that, but that was so jarring to hear that because Johnny Greenwood's little thing where he does that. And, uh, but again, it was like the way that I saw the video on MTV, I didn't see him any differently than... I was seeing, you know, Nirvana. Or, sure, that's fair. Or, or, Especially because it's a cl- club, scene, dark live performance. Yeah, I didn't kinda. know they were from the UK. I didn't know much about them. Anyhow, so the thing was, is I heard and I heard them say OK Computer on the radio. And the company I was working for them was a kind of like an internet agency, creative agency. And we had actually had been listening to the Benz. Uh, really for a while and I didn't really put two and two together oh, and then I fell in love with the Benz being like oh my god maybe that's the best rock album ever like I love the Benz like I think the Benz is, I can I don't get sick of that but I think that I chose okay computer because that was like the transitional time for them and for music where not only was like kind of the messaging what they were trying to say about life in, in general but that whole emergence of technology and a band evolving into not just being a rock band, but we got a rock band with a different sound. And with OK Computer and every album after that, they made a different sound and reinvented themselves. But have you used the same producer since the person that produced? That's what's so amazing, though. But like evolving as artists, to me, in bands like that, is to not do the same thing over and over again. And I feel like Radiohead has just pushed the boundaries <laughs> in so many different directions and 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 I just so that's kind of when I fell in love with them with okay computer and then anything they did after that like you're okay. on board with all of it I wouldn't say I'm on board with all of it but I appreciate it okay and I've seen them like eight times have you really yeah all and they're like one of the best lives band ever okay like I mean their shows are they haven't incredible. given you a single dud um I wouldn't say dud I just think their sound live is amazing okay but again, I've seen them in some pretty cool places. I saw them in the UK outside of London. Wow. With uh, the opening bands were Supergrass and Beck and then Radiohead. And I saw them in a night. like That That might have been one of my best shows ever because it was in the middle of England, outside of Oxford, England. And the night that I saw them, it was just like your dreary, rainy... This gets to the wire like Radiohead. So you saw your just dreary rainy repressed bunch of drunk english people with so much rage and anger built up in them and when radiohead started playing halfway through the first set um it started pouring raining oh boy which is 
how could that be more perfect for a radio yeah, right, show? Right. You know, this, uh, I'm not here. This isn't happening. The fourth song or third song on, uh, on Kid A. That's, that's kind of where I checked out. Yeah. Oh, you, you checked out Kid A? Yeah. Okay. And, and a lot of times, uh, this comes up often, yeah. you know, just the right, it might not be the right time or it might not just be for me right. overall. Right. But Kid A, I was like, what? And then yeah. t- Tom's, he put out a he solo, put some solo stuff, stuff it, yeah, and yeah. it felt also kind of like, kind of like fragmented that. and yeah, different. Yeah. And I was like, no. yeah, I, I'm, no, I'm happy. With, I'm happy with okay computer. But during that song, it was so appropriate that it started raining and then they threw the lights up like because it was raining and people were just like, and I gathered again, their, their music comes from that English repressed yeah. anger, yep. you know, um, and to see that, to see those people connecting with that music that night, I got it like more than I ever had. And that probably changed me a little bit about the way I see Radiohead because I understood what it comes from. Because it is a lot of melancholy and a lot of it's not like the most uplifting stuff. But uh, so that was cool. And then I saw him in Buenos Aires, which was unbelievable too. I and, bet. Um, and I've seen him a couple of times here and I saw him in the Bay Area. Um, sure. Have you seen uh, him at Arrowhead? Did they play? I I, th- I can't remember, but I don't know. But I saw them at the Sprint Center. Okay, okay. Yeah. I, got, I thought they, they had, might have played there. I thought they. I, was here. I thought there was an outdoor gig, and I just. Mm. I mean, of late, you know, the last whatever sixteen was their last record, right? It's been a minute. I think so. But at by yeah. at, at the t- that time that that record came out, I remember that they were like touring large mm-hmm. outdoor facilities and tickets were I don't think they have problems moving tickets mm-hmm. um, so they might not have played Arrowhead but I, I just associate right. them with this trajectory well the other thing I like about them too is how they the business they ran you know they were one of the first bands to release their album where you donate I don't know if you ever mm-hmm. saw what that I don't, I don't think it was Kid A that did it it was the album after that Maybe it was Kid A. But they were challenging everything. They're challenging, you know, corporate America. They're challenging the industry. And they said, hey, here's our new album. You can download it for free. But if you want to give us money for it and donate, they actually made more money doing that way. Crazy. And I just think, like, I, just, I like that innovation of thinking, sure. you know. And uh, so there's just little things about them that I just appreciate a lot. Well, yeah. usually, um, you know, if it's, somebody that I'm not super familiar with all I'm listening, but I'm also just having a, a look at the album and the band. Right. Right. So I write down some shit that's interesting to me that I didn't know. Right. Uh, so I, th- I think they met in school mm-hmm. and in gigged or as, high school. I think. They yeah. Did and yeah. gigged as early as 87 uh-huh. and had a demo and some label was like, and then they're like, well, actually we're going to go to university instead. Uh-huh. Um, and Yay. then, Uni, right? Uh, but this one in particular, I mean, uh, I don't know necessarily about consumerism, but social alienation mm-hmm. for sure. And like a foreshadowing to, I think, what we're living in now, you know? Yeah, Especially well, a lot of you... it was written about po- just politics in general. Okay. And a lot of their stuff was, you know, against American politics and American presidents like later on. Sure. You know, yeah. the Hell to the Thief, I think that was a right. lot against George W. Bush. Right. Um, but there was, you know, back to OK Computer, There was, so they record, they had this, uh, it's a good documentary whether you like Radiohead or not, but it's called Meeting People is Easy. 
and it's made from the first few weeks of the OK Computer Tour that went on for like a year and a half. Oh, wow. So like all 400 and 300 and some odd, 390, 400 days. Wow. And it shows you from them being this, you know, unknown, relatively, you know, known from Creep. But that was like one of the biggest trajectories of any band that happened more globally than we know here. Like Radiohead globally, I think, is, is almost bigger than we consider it here. I mean, as a band. And that world tour was just them and the struggles that they had to go through and Tom York having to deal with like being a little fly on the wall to like the biggest thing. Oh and my God. So in as far as documentary t- goes, short in period a year, of time. And, but it, yeah, no, it literally takes off, you know, uh, right at the beginning of the tour and like when they're on Letterman and it's just, it's a really, it's a art, it's a kind of a, the documentary is artistically well done. Nice. But I just love to see like what a band has to go through when you're just faced with stardom and interviews and you know all the bs right so i recommend anybody that if you like radiohead i would meeting people is easy i think you can get it you just have to google it i'm sure you can sure. Find it somewhere um so allegedly title comes from hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy radio series in which the character zaphod beeble brox says okay computer i want full manual control now <laughs> I mean, well, with the AI, I mean, that's that's the scary part. Is yeah. Wow. Uh, and then qu- quasi-unanimous claims from critics that both you know merit and importance in terms of the art form of a record that parallels to Sgt. Pepper's. Mm-hmm. And like this is, well, I mean, if you open the uh, the little blurb on Apple Music, it, it, it the the entry opens with the question: greatest album of all time. Oh, about, about okay. Computer. Yeah, and then yeah. they go on to say their thing. Yeah, just because there's so much going on with it, and mm-hmm. I think that's because it's it's you know they're a very intellectual band, absolutely very pensive, and I like just that there's a lot of substance, and they're not real star driven. They don't really like the they don't like the 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 spotlight, right? You know, um, a couple Grammy nominations and a win for best alternative album for okay uh, computer. Right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, for a half a second, I toyed with the idea of trying to break this album down, but I think it would warrant not only its own episode, but I'm, you could you could write a book about this record, mm-hmm. and maybe one already exists or multiple mm-hmm. ones already exist. But we should at least look at the tracks. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we talked about custard pie being an op- a crazy opener. Airbag, I mean, uh, it f- 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 grips you. Yeah, and and sort of for me would you know make me want to double check that my seatbelt's buckled before this goes on. I mean, just uh, so you got to see them live when they start out a concert with Airbag. Oh, really? Yeah. A okay. Lot of the concerts they will. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, Paranoid Android is uh, crazy, sonically soothing <laughs> yet frightening at the same time. Like I've never had. Uh, you know, a song make me feel like it's a, a warm blanket, but also I'm like terrified mm-hmm. for what's in the immediate future. Um, good way of putting it. You, we mentioned subterranean homesick mm-hmm. alien. Uh, you know, uh, kind kind of left me with this feeling. You know, this Mahomesian feeling like they're approaching tracks like Noah. I mean, that's all the Talking Heads are talking about mm-hmm. these recent weeks is. You know where does Mahomes stack up? Mahomes Burrow, Mahomes Burrow, all this stuff. But it's and and now that they've advanced, they punched their Super Bowl ticket. Some people are saying there there isn't. Can we end this? There is no There's other no comparison. And it's like yeah. they're approaching tracks for mm-hmm. this project. Like I don't think 
people have approached tracks before. It, it's, yeah, it's again, it was it was one of the most revolutionary albums of all time. Absolutely, at that period, and 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 I think I think the then subterranean homesick alien, just the whole idea of like, what do we look like if aliens are looking down at us, type thing, and what would it be like for people if they would just look back and see what how crazy yeah it is. absolutely and i like that part of that song but. exit music for a film you know you get the sullen sort of afraid opening segment yeah. of acoustic and vocals and uh and then the the build is again like i don't know i know i've listened to a, a you know a bunch of songs that have a, a build but this one is really intense a lot of a lot they license to a lot of tv shows and movies now i don't know if you've noticed no, a lot, i mean a lot of goods not just to anybody okay but a lot of the shows that i like a lot of these shows they'll have like a radiohead song to end an episode or something and okay I'm like, Oh, that's just perfect. <laughs> you know, yeah. they just get it. <laughs> but that's, I mean, that's like uh, in the world of streaming, doing that is, uh, it's almost like you kind of have to replace what used to be revenue from album sales because streaming isn't generating income in the same way, right? And well, so, the, 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 uh, if you're making a show or TV, you got to buy that track and a specific license for it before you publish it. So Radiohead's probably like, yeah, you can use that, but we're going to charge you a quarter million dollars. So for the band, it's good. But as far as like streaming goes, the monetization of content, yeah, that's a whole different thing. But the bands are good because you have to license just like if I was to license a, a stock or a track for one of my movies, it's like you got to like pay yeah. a certain price. Yeah. So if you're if you're a rights holder, back to that conversation yeah. of, a, of a song or something, you're good. Um, but I don't think that the artists are affected by the video side of streaming i think that they're i mean as far as like movies but i think they're definitely affected by the spotify side um but i think they also generate some of like someone like radiohead probably generates decent cash right yeah right i mean they're not uh, struggling but but point being i think it's kind of commonplace to now you know sell your sell a track or you can you for your tv show can use this track at this price point and high price point right right <laughs> depending right. on yeah. who the band is there's, um, a, there's a difference between like trying to get your name out as a young and emerging artist and then knowing who the fuck you are and selling it for, right you know uh let down um there's a it's an older clip but uh louis ck on mm-hmm. conan uh, talking about isolation and he has this experience where he's driving and he's listening to a Bruce Springsteen song mm-hmm. and he knows that it's emotionally invoking and he, it, it, as the part of the song is approaching, right. he reaches for his phone just to like text people. Oh, he's wow. like, I'm going to text tw- 20 piece kidding, but I'll yeah. text 20 people and whoever responds back the quickest. And he's like that. What is that? Don't just s- sit with it. And experience the, the sadness, right. and uh, he's he so he does, and then the sadness is so profound that he has to pull over, and he like weeps on the side of the road, and he's like, but the beautiful thing is, is that when you're you have sadness and crying, you, your your brain then rushes in with these other whatever they are elements, right. and and then there's a a, a renewed happiness and warmth kind of thing mm-hmm. and um it, you know uh th- that that after you know exit music for a film letdown is is sort of like that replacement of the 
I don't know what the chemicals are called, but uh, endorphin. Yeah, I think so. All of that maybe stuff. Maybe not endorphin, but uh, your serotonin. Yes, endorphin, serotonin, all all yeah. of the above. Well, but, and they're they're the best at the mel- triggering melancholy. Like if you've ever listened to Radiohead after like a heavy night of substance abuse not that i have right or right. a big night of partying and you're in a melancholy mood and you put in like a radio head on a rainy day you're like oh my god that's how it resonates mm-hmm. with a lot of people and again back to that where they come from in the english people and what they're representative absolutely of music that's yeah. like you know emotionally it's it, it stirs people for sure yeah mm-hmm. karma police maybe the it's most a, known most yeah popular it's still good it's a great song, it's like though. an anthem of yeah. emotion yeah emotionality mm-hmm. Uh, the snobby side of me, f- fitter, happier, and electioneering. I'm I'm skipping. But that, yeah, I, it, it's not a. Yeah, I, I agree with you. But the whole again, the whole point of the messaging they're saying is, you know, they're saying a lot right there about again how this mold of people in this in today's society are working, and and becoming into this kind of like automated system on this computer or now this artificial intelligence of things that it's a lot to say back in the early whatever it was early no it was late 90s I guess. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh climbing up the walls that's a good song I, I i stick around for it most of the time um but no surprises, surprises. uh that's sort of we've given you this and then we have this tiny, but now we're mm-hmm. pulling it out of the lava and standing it back on its feet, and you sort of are like, okay, like emotionally speaking. But all this, how all the songs build, though, you know, they kind of just that kind of like crescendo towards the end of them, and the sonic elements that they use. Absolutely, what I love about, and you know, and again, it was kind of like a, a sound that you just never heard anything like that. Before. Mm-hmm. Lucky, um, Lucky's like the ultimate sad. It's it's uh, so if the record is an emotional voyage, just like physical graffiti is in Uh, some sense, this one feels like that. Like you've returned from danger to uh safety, but you're still sort of reflecting back on what you just you know. It's 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 a a layer removed now in the in the memory soundscape, but everything your all of your synapses are still firing and so forth. See that. Um, the tourist, uh, is kind of like an epilogue, yeah, um, thinking about life again, but continuing to reflect upon what you experienced and how it maybe changed you. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, uh, I, I, I don't, obviously we'll never know because the record was put out the way it was put out, but it's really impossible for me to imagine a different track sequence. Right. Like this record, these these songs have to be in this order almost. Yeah. And it's, it, I think it's important too that at this time there were albums, whether you call them concept albums or whatever, where you're releasing a CD in a form of content from beginning to end, and people are listening to it straight through. Yeah, that model's gone. Now it's all about. I still am, your I, Spotify. I mean, think about it. Though. I know, but the I, dark side of the moon. The certain albums where you you listen to the beginning and the end, and you, you like you're doing a great job of talking about like the themes throughout it. But I feel like there's very few artists that even care about that or doing that now because it's just, in today's world, music isn't consumed that way anymore. I mean, as, as I hear the words coming out of your mouth, I know that you're right, but I, I still <laughs> want to, you know, Again, this Dylan is Thomas. Media right. side of me. <laughs> what, how does that Dylan Thomas line go? Uh, something about f- fighting? In, anyway. Uh, but, but what was the best, the last, I'll ask you a question. 
What was the best the last concept album in the last few years? Like that God, from beginning to end. I'm you, not can you even not even concept, but something that you've listened to from the beginning. Um to well without question, uh deeper understanding, the war on drugs. Yeah, they're pretty good. Uh that and I like you know, I've given their stuff a listen, mm-hmm. but nothing is like this record. Okay. Nothing at all. And I see is... again, I only know fragments of them from Spotify. I don't know okay. from beginning to end. I know they're playing in Lawrence. I think they are. Are they? I thought they they, they, they did or they were supposed to. Uh, they, I mean, they were at uh, Grinders this summer. Maybe that was it. Yeah. And then Kurt Vile was just Kurt in Vile, Lawrence. yeah, I think that's what it was. Yeah. yeah. I went to that with uh, Shifley and uh, Whitehead and a kid named oh, Sean I Roberts. I saw Britt the other night. Did you really? Uh-huh. Um, that show, I, can, I haven't stopped thinking. It was in October. Yeah. I'm still thinking about it because it was really? so amazing. That good? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that you know, I'm, I'm certainly you know I see these folks or hear of these folks that yeah you know, I had a kid on named Sammy Sanchez he does a top fifty or whatever like late December every year of records that mm-hmm. came out that year I'm like I'm the complete opposite direction in terms of being in the know of what is out now. And I know people follow platforms and so they'll say, Hey, this is what's dropping this Friday. I'm just not there. And I don't know that I ever will be. Because we're getting old. Well, it's a lot of things, but, (laughs) but anyway, that's, and that one's deeper understandings like, uh, 18 or 19. So that's about as recent as, something I'm qualified to comment on as far as an album yeah. that has. No, I just, because I can't think of any new albums where I've, well, I, yeah. I mean, there's, I, I like My Morning Jacket personally. I don't know if their albums through and through hold up that great, but they're a um, great live band. I think there are folks, and I only know this mm-hmm. from talking to a couple on, through here, but I think there are a couple of folks that would say um, the last two of the more recent Kendrick Lamar albums mm-hmm. are doing that the Mr um shit the name of his most recent one is escaping me it's like Mr Mr something and the so and so's uh and it's a it's lengthy mm-hmm. and then to pimp a butterfly is one or two records prior to that and i think thematically and perhaps historically and emotionally you know you could definitely put the album concept sticker on those right. but uh, un- but but back to okay computer there that that was the reason that's why i chose it because i can't remember an album where i listened to through and through that really moved me and still does when i put it right. on right it's like one of those things you can go back to and it's not even for nostalgia you can still listen to it and appreciate it being like look at this art you know just as art it's amazing and a lot of people don't appreciate the sound or they don't appreciate tom york or the squealing or the it's not pop but they've never cared about being a commercially successful band. Right. They cared about being artists. Yeah. And that's the biggest struggle, again, going back to that documentary, is them having to deal with being a commercial success. And someone it, like overnight-ish. Tom York. Yeah. And, and someone like Tom York, who is just an artist to his true sense, to his struggle with it. Because, you know, he's, he's complicated. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, like, just to see the torture. You know, that a guy like that has to go through. And, like, there's a scene with Michael Stipe in it where he, Michael Stipe kind of, like, mentored him, you know, a little bit. But, like, I just, like, it just, maybe it was the point in my life where I just resonated it with it. I don't know. Maybe I was in a transitional time or whatever when I heard it. But I don't know. It always just sticks with me as, like, something. It's just, I'm not big into the commercial music or into the very, uh, you know, uh, you know, just, like, 
corporate produced albums that I just feel like this was very highly produced, but raw. Yeah, absolutely. And still more raw than when they really kind of went into their technology yeah. and different sounds, like with live music and drums and things like that. Well, and what a weird sort of thing to have to go through whatever he's going through that's visible to you in this documentary uh, as a result of producing something that not only provides joy, but gives joy. Mm-hmm. You know, But he doesn't understand. He, I mean, he understands only what the message, the through his voice of the importance of what he's saying and how people perceive that is totally different than right. You know, just um, why, like if you if you like that album, just I highly recommend watching for sure. That. You, I will totally engage. I, I love that. Yeah. I mean, it, it. So I took a year off uh, after freshman year of college and then uh, needed to establish in state status out in Colorado, and so I was a year behind. Graduated in '98, mm-hmm. uh, and that's. Um, it also coincided with uh, my first and maybe my rawest uh, breakup, you know, like I, this, the one kind of thing. And there was a whole lot of pieces that went into it. But I mean, like this album really was kind of my life preserver across the summer of 98. Mm-hmm. Just like it was a, a security blanket. And a, I mean, but I, so I have a lot of um, memories and, and and familiar emotions when I listen to it. Mm-hmm. But also, you know, there's still new stuff to pick up on on revisits, right. right? I think part of it relating to that period of time is when I was into that album was also when I was in the middle of the dot com scene in San Francisco and seeing this transition into technology. <clears throat> because so when I moved out to San Francisco, it was the height height of the dot com in ninety eight. 99-ish, 8. And then as the more popularity of this came is like when tech was crashing, and I remember that. And I was also traveling the world, too. So I was kind of seeing things from the international side of, like, how they're viewed and whatnot. So just the whole, yeah, just the whole idea of, you know, I don't know. I thought that kind of foreseeable of the future of mm-hmm. a lot of things that they're mm-hmm. They're well, you, you mentioned travel. I mean, you uh, when we were trying to pin down a date for this, you, you said you thought you would be in town for tonight. Uh, and it, it looks like there's some consistency with travel in you. I, I mean, are you... Yeah, well, last year was definitely, there was a lot of film festivals for the last film, for okay. the last of COVID-19. Okay. Yeah, so that the fall was kind of crazy for that. Now, are you always traveling with, like, sort of work, things attached or do you whatever works like yeah i would like to (laughs) sure but i did take a vacation to europe last summer okay post-covid vacation solo family no with my 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 whole family okay because we were supposed to do something during covid but it obviously got canceled so we sure uh, we went to Spain as a family and nice the house and so mom and dad are still together and well years dang yeah. and then all the five the five of you everybody's we're all good yeah my nice. brother's got a family here niece and nephew okay uh, my older brother is in uh, Portugal okay so I did stay from the Spain vacation I traveled a bit by myself and then went and hung out in Lisbon um and then london of course on the way out because london's like the greatest city in the world is it okay i love london nice yeah um but i mean work stuff aside like travel is a thing that will always have some role in your life goes back to what i was saying about working on that that richard banks travel show is like he said something about like travel fires the synopses and Mm. you know uh 
going and landing and when you go into a new place it's kind of like the best education you can ever get is going to a different country like the best way to learn he didn't say this but i believe the best way to learn about life is to travel and get out of your comfort zone sure and you can't teach that in textbooks so when i travel and i go to i think i've been to 37 38 countries now wow cool and when i get to a new country or a new city right when the plane lands my adrenaline just shoots through the roof because it's like i want to go into the heart of that city put my bag down and then get lost know where i generally the hotel is and written down but get lost in the area so i can see the city you Very know what i cool. mean i love it and that's just like something that i love to do <laughs> super weird but like it just to me like and i think when you when you have traveled you know i'm fortunate a lot of the travel was for work and then having uh family living abroad but like especially when you work for a professional traveler and you you do things and you appreciate things in a certain different way sure so there's like not just the traveling but the cultural aspect and learning about the people and learning about the history of the people and then learning about their arts and then seeing their music you know well, that's in the museums and then finding about music, like going to Bali and like Gamelon music. I didn't know about that. Right. So then I came back here and started like, you know, listening to that. Or, cool. So I don't know, traveling. And, and again, radio, I was always listening to Radiohead when I was traveling. Yeah. So. Uh, well, that's, you know, uh, one of my favorite things about uh, Bourdain was that No Reservations was cool and interesting in, in it from a food perspective, but Parts Unknown was... Let's dig into the culture mm-hmm. and the history of these people and really kind of learn right. first. I thought that was really, really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, so if you're not busy working on a project or, or traveling for business or pleasure or both, uh, what do you do with your Do you have hobbies? Do you shows, podcasts, yeah, all the above. movies? I, lately I play with my dog a lot. Okay. Well, that's right. I, uh, yeah, I remember COVID. You, I got him over COVID and cute, I, cute, cute little. A, he is when a, he was a teeny he's a tiny precious boy. No, I think that for, I think more so over the past, especially since COVID, is my just going back to Wisconsin and nature and my hippie side, is reconnecting with nature and, and hiking and, and mountain biking and just getting outside every day. Cool. So, you know, what the dog has been good for me, I go up to Weston Bend and I just, I, I swear anytime I can to be outside in like the woods, I just appreciate that more than, than most things. That's so, awesome. That's a lot what I do with my, I still play the drums. Sure. I cook a lot. Nice. And live music is back. So I go and see live music. Right. So, uh, pretty simple. I don't, it's not that complicated. If I can travel, I, I want to travel, but if I can't, then just kind of into the boring stuff sure for some people (laughs) well uh one silly hypothetical and then we'll get you out of here Mm -hmm. um if you were handpicked uh to address the world you have a 15 second message that's going to be broadcast however it's being received that everybody has the opportunity to tune in and hear it what would it be to broadcast to the world? Yeah, mess, just a message to the world, you know, whether it's like you're speaking into a mic or it's, uh, you know, uh, a piece of video that you produced that has a message to it. Oh, my God. I would... I don't know. <laughs> That's such a tough question. <laughs> I mean, oftentimes uh, the response is be kind to each other, which yeah, I... Yeah, I, I mean, I think... Well, that's like actually the message in my last film, Class of COVID, is kindness, empathy, 
Right. And yeah, you just, uh, and I think that's an important thing in today's age is you don't know what anybody's going through Absolutely. unless you talk to them um, because you're never going to know unless you ask questions. So right. I think it is important to treat everybody fairly and to appreciate that everybody's got shit going on. Yeah. And um, it's super, and, and more now more so than ever. I mean, because yeah. it, it really is important. And I, and that's like something again, too, that I've really focused on a lot over the past few years with COVID is just like, we're all in this fucking thing together and it sucks right now for yeah. a lot of people. Yeah. So just that one act of kindness or even, you know, whether it's in the grocery store or, you know, helping someone opening a door or whatever, that makes a difference in someone's life that could really be having a hard time. It does. And so, it's very... Dis- that's not a 15-second message, but... That's okay. That's kind of... That and the environment is very important to Absolutely. So those are two things that... Uh, I, 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 it's disheartening and discouraging to, you know, see uh, whatever Instagram reels or TikTok where you have these people that are like mindfully engaging in confrontation and trying to document it. I'm like, what is the end game here? What... Do you think that there's a big big bag of money for you? Like, there's their fame? I don't understand. Yeah, man. Be an Why? influencer. Become famous. Get a million views. Whatever. See, like, that's, the, that's the next project for me is I oh really boy. want to do something uh, going against this whole TikTok fucking generation shit. Sorry. I mean, like, not... Don't I, apologize. I, I, I just think that because mental health is such an issue and because it's proven now through studies that how meant how bad so a lot of consuming social media for eight hours a day is on kids and the fact that a lot of kids and high school kid people don't know any better that it's literally dopamine feeding just like cigarettes were to us you know and i just like it, it's it, i'm from a different generation so I, I i don't relate to how they can do it i can see how it's addictive but if you don't know any better then you're going to keep doing it throughout your life and everything is being catered to that market right now through advertising and money and I f- saw that, like, uh, there's a, um, a couple school districts in Seattle that are suing TikTok and suing social media companies for, uh, I don't know the clauses, but because of how it it's triggering mental health illnesses. And, sure. And they're trying to build cases around that. So slowly people are going to try to challenge it. I don't have kids, but I just can't imagine being a kid and looking at a screen your whole life on reels that are addictive as you're scrolling to keep you addictive and not being able to have inter- any interpersonal uh, conversation with others to know how to communicate, to know how to read somebody. So that's something that I think needs a lot to work on. I well, don't know. And again, yeah, does, it go, and again it does. does it go back to, okay, computer? <laughs> it might, it might, does it have to go back to like... Foreshadowing. Well, taking over, you know, computers taking over are manipulating our thoughts and lives. So maybe, maybe this, you know, so... It's a valid point. I yeah. uh, we don't allow our kids to have screen time during the week, mm-hmm. um, and they very much. I mean, they look forward more than anything to being with their friends and activities and so forth when the weekend comes. But there's downtime, yeah. And they ask, and he's he he likes to watch YouTube stuff, and she will sit there on TikTok, and you know, if an hour goes by, and also like, you know, I. I I consume stuff, you know, I'm working on stuff. Um, but you know, I'm always, and I'll check in and be like, Hey man, let's, let's, let's go shoot hoops for a couple minutes. Let's do something (laughs) different. I'm not saying you have to be done with screen time, but like it, it, the message is always that spending your hour or whatever uh, of screen on TikTok just 
you know, is not, I'm, I'm much happier when she's got the thing in the tripod mm-hmm. and she's making, you know, right. like at least, Creating yeah. So it's, it's tough, man. It's a tough, I don't, you don't want to yeah. cut stuff out and then they're going to well, figure out. Well, there's got to be a fine balance. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but it is a different culture. It's a different way that people are being brought up. Yeah. So your stuff's visible on johnbrick.com. Well, yeah, the films are uncommonallies.com and then uh, classiccovidmovie.com. Okay. Um, you can watch Uncommon Allies on Amazon Prime, on Tubi, on Roku TV. Um, if you Google it, it gives you the options. And if you check back in on Classic COVID in the next couple of months, you'll be able to watch that too somewhere. Sure. And then um, you got something else. Uh, the next thing is it well, already sort of our in last the wor- conversation that we're having is something that the producer of that I worked with on the last film is is uh, we've been thinking about doing something educational about this whole issue that we're having with kind of like the post-COVID mental health, but yet people are still addicted to screens and not having interpersonal communications and right and relationships to like, you know, a certain extent. Right. So, and mainly not creating. If they are creating, that's great, but like not creating with their phone. Sure. You know? Yeah. I think there's, there's some people that are doing some cool stuff with that. Some organizations like in Brooklyn, I've seen that like young kids revolting against social media and, coming together to do projects without cool phones so I well like that concept um i mean that's you know i i love music i love hearing people's backgrounds but also you know that's part of what this is it's mm-hmm. like let's sit down and have a conversation in person and hopefully something productive comes out of it and um but if if uh i'm a person watching this and i'm interested in checking in periodically to see what's next for you what's the best place for me to go yeah i mean i guess my website is okay because I, I, there's news like i try to keep it updated with news okay uh they're on my website there'll be screening announcements for classic covid we did a screening last week um we're going to be doing more screenings um but again well I got to use social media to promote I, that's, myself. I, so, it's a, uh, yeah. yeah, no, it's fine. And I do, I mean, I post on Facebook about, you know, <laughs> Facebook's kind of become my marketing, you know, mainly that and, and Instagram and stuff and less about like anything else. Right. But, uh, I mean, it's a, you got to do it that way. So mm-hmm. uh, until we find a better solution, I, I, I guess so. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, the pitch magazine is done, dude. I mean, <laughs> God, that was the those are the it best the day. days. Like, I know. It, it, was it going to buy Wednesday? Did it come or I think Tuesdays? It was Wednesday or two, Wednesday? Because albums yeah. used to drop on Tuesdays. The was new it? pitch would come out. Third might have been Wednesday or Thursday. I but remember. there yeah. it could definitely have uh, you know four, five, six spots around town where you, you yeah, knew yeah. the rack would be full and oh, you could. Yeah. What's on the cover, and what's what are the story, and also what's what shows? Well, it was every, but like in every city though, every city had those alternative newspapers right. that had like the listings for the cool bands. Mm-hmm. Again, like going back to Madison when I went up there, I was like, oh my god, they had like three different ones. And right, like, this is so cool. And the Onion, yeah, <laughs> the Onion's from there. Is it really? Uh-huh. Okay, yeah. that's funny. Mm-hmm. Well, listen, uh, I know time is a very valuable asset, so I really appreciate no, you, thank you giving for... me some. Yeah. It's been great, and Good. I, I hope, appreciate you I hope coming. I didn't blabber too much on. 
You didn't blab. <laughs> you didn't blabber enough. Tangents or gl- I, no, I'm kidding. Yeah. You did, it was perfect. Okay, good. Thanks, Sean Brick. Thank you. See ya. Uh-huh. I tried to tie everything together. Oh, dude. <laughs>